Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of the podcast. Sorry we've been absent. I've had literally zero connectivity out here at Bears Ears, and uh, it's been frustrating to try to get things uploaded. But uh, Craig's out visiting right now, and so we sat down next to the campfire. We were out at Muley Point at this really incredible campsite with like a 2,000-foot cliff drop-off. The wind got pretty gnarly, and so we had to shut it down about 20 minutes into it, and then we picked back up in the morning. So here we go. Thanks. Well, this is, I was thinking earlier, just, I mean, I know I always do this when, when I'm out in nature and whatnot, but, you know, you, like all, all of that time and energy and stories and whatnot of people just coming up with patterns in the sky as to what's what, and then like stories connected to mythology and, I don't know. There's there's something romantic or, I don't know, I kind of long for that kind of life versus the one of technology where, you know, you and, you and I are going to probably check our phones at the end of this conversation, you know, as opposed to, yeah. you know, writing down some kind of uh, epic odyssey. Yeah, I think, I think about that too. I think about how much time I have potentially wasted just looking at a phone back here. And, and I kind of I kind of kick myself over it. And, and the lifestyle that we lead, honestly, is pretty. We're pretty unplugged, you know. But the fact is, is like the times where I'll catch myself and I'll be like at camp, and Sierra will be like running around, like wanting to go for a walk or something, or want to go on the trail. And I'll be wrapped up in my phone, and like I'll catch myself ten minutes into. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah, like, I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my opportunity out here. All right, man, we're recording. We're here, here at Bears Ears, campfire style. Unbelievable. Right on the edge of the Grand Canyon, the start of the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Yeah, we're up at a place called Muley Point, and the views here are insane. We're, we're at one of the ledge sites, and it's like, what would you think, 1,500-foot drop-off? 2,000 feet? I yeah, it's like a stepwise, you know, the first the first step is like 1,000 feet, the next one is like a 1,500 feet, it's <laughs> yeah. just, it's kind of one of those places where you throw a stone off and it'll never hit the bottom. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing, and the views in the Monument Valley from here are just insane, it's just unreal, so, well, uh, welcome everybody to the podcast, I, I, I have to apologize, um, the reason why we haven't had much up lately is because my connectivity out here in Bears Ears has been next to none i've not had any luck with finding pockets where i could make a cell phone connection that that is actually strong enough for me to do a podcast the wi-fi in town is completely unreliable can't hop on to do podcasts there so we've been kind of dark for the past couple of weeks but we've also but we've been super busy so just want to thanks everybody for kind of sticking with us yeah no doubt about that like how fucking bullshit not having like a cell signal <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> i know dude listen to me bitch about it like, i know you know but it, it, it is interesting though just how um when that cell phone service like living this way you know when 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 you're out here and you're kind of on the fringe of being connected anyway when that connectivity is taken away it's it it really does leave you kind of feeling lonely like yeah. I like I couldn't check in with family or friends because I had no connectivity. I could do it with my GPS, but that's limited as far as what I can do on text. So it's uh, it was kind of interesting how that threw me into kind of like wanting craving a little bit of society a little bit. Yeah, uh, no, I, I I've I've been in that situation too, and there's 
you know, it, it, it comes down to expectations, right? So, you know, when oftentimes I'll come out to nature, but I will have that expectation of like, okay, I'm going to go hang in this area and this area because I know there's cell service. Mm-hmm. And then I can experience frustration when I get to an area where there isn't frustration. And I don't, I don't know if it's loneliness. Maybe it is loneliness, mm-hmm. but... Or maybe it's being disconnected when you expect it to be connected. Yeah, but then there's like there's an acclimation. Like once you give into it and you mm-hmm. surrender to it and you accept it, there's actually there's actually like a freedom mm-hmm. and a different level of enjoyment that you get out of it. But I mean, it it's it was unfortunate that we weren't able to record yeah. over the last couple of weeks because yeah. um, I know you've been experiencing amazing stuff and oh. just what you've showed me in the last couple of days. Oh, it's, is, it's incredible out here totally nuts and then i i mean i have my own little adventure of uh getting getting out of the off-grid monastery on the sled with rue on the sled my blind dog and yeah dude i'm um, surprised at how well he's doing out here he's doing great yeah he's good he's i mean around camp it's awesome i mean because he's just doing his thing he's normal Mm -hmm. you know sniffing peeing on shit yeah but even on the hike yeah i think he was doing great on the hike he's good yeah Yeah. because that that hike's a little hairy there's a lot of stuff that's sticking up and around that he can bump into yeah and it wasn't had, like the Colorado trails, you know. It's like you've got ditches of water. You had sand. You had cacti all around and whatnot. Now he did. He did really, really well. I yeah. was happy. Yeah, no, I think and, he did well. And I loved that. Um, you know, when we got to Monarch's Cave, uh-huh. and and we were like, you know, way, way off, and it was an echoey area. Yeah. And then he starts howling. Yeah, and, dude, let's put some audio in here. We'll uh, splice some into this. And, yeah, yeah, let's do that uh, right now. of me but she really got going when Rue was doing uh, it. I know Rue Rue is definitely a leader. A, a, a <laughs> howling leader. Well it was cool too how Rue would like you know he he could tell that the the bouncing off of the and he was making some really interesting sounds. I know. Like I some know. really cool howls in there. I know. And I don't did you hear it like even earlier today when I was up on that rock, you know, getting a good sale signal so uh-huh. I could download some he was howling while, while well, I had I, the windows up in the truck. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, when I guess I think that that's like one of his new things. Uh-huh. When he senses me like off in the distance, oh, he'll, he'll start. Yeah, he'll yeah. start howling. That's, right that's cool. Man. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I like, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, out here at Bearsers, this has been it's been such an eye opener to see the the record of human history here, yeah. and you know to learn that the area has been having human activity that dates back to fourteen thousand. Uh, years ago, you know, twelve thousand BC, they have that Clovis site. It's it's on Lime Ridge, which is like just on just across from like two miles from here, outside of the Cedar Mesa. Okay, and uh, and you think about that, and you're like, it's just when there's that much record of human history, it's like you got to preserve this stuff. Yeah, you know, and I think that unfortunately, with the with the rescinded um, boundary of Bears Ears, I mean. I think that's the wrong move. You know, I do. I, I it was we were actually having an interesting conversation in the car earlier. Um, so it, I can go both ways on it. So mm-hmm. there, you know, when something becomes a designated area, 
naturally it attracts more people because yeah. they're like, oh, this is a cool area. So you, maybe it doesn't happen right away, mm-hmm. but once you put that like designation on it, there is the possibility for more people to come. Right. And so it's mm-hmm. like, what, you know, what, what really is going to happen? And I, I, I want this area protected. Absolutely. There's no question in my mind. Like I, I do think that there should be limited, um, if not, uh, completely um, not allowed drilling or mining or yeah. any of that thing. So I unequivocally, that's what I want. But I'm, I, I guess it, it is an open question to me. Like, what do you, what would, what would cause more damage? Mm-hmm. Making it a national monument and having more people come out here. And I mean, I, you know, I was walking around those ruins today, and mm-hmm. it's just like. Number one, it's amazing that I can get up that close and see fairly well-preserved sites. Mm -hmm. But number two, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, what happens if a lot more people come here and Mm -hmm. a lot more jackasses? Yeah. So... You know the the option is is for the BLM and anybody that's protecting this area to quarantine it off more, so I can't get as close as I was, mm-hmm. you know, or it just gets ruined. So I don't, mm-hmm. I, I I want the protections in place, um, but it was an interesting conversation earlier that just kind of gave me pause for yeah. thought. That I, I think you know I, I definitely there's there's a valid arguments on all sides. Yeah, you know I mean. Obviously, we drove cars to come here, so we right. we were using minerals that are extracted out of the ground and and resources that were extracted out of the ground to drive, to drive our vehicles here. So, to say that we're completely a hundred percent against any sort of mining ever is a little bit hypocritical for anybody who uses Definitely. modern technology. But at the same token, it's like, I look at it and I think, okay, there's definitely going to be damage from, from humans. But that that's something that we could curb through education and we could we could try to mitigate it and minimize it as much as possible. When people start drilling in here, it's gone. Right. You know, and that's the thing is it's like it's an immediate tipping point. Whereas the other tipping point, there is one with the people coming out here, but I think it's a much longer game. Mm-hmm. And that gives us time to actually get out to those sites and harden them. That's har- the term. Harden them, yeah. yeah. Uh, to make Start it to, to where they're up on your terminology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's cool. I've been learning a lot from the BLM. Like like I was saying today about the trash, the historical trash. Right. How they consider that part of the experience out here, and I, I never knew that because like in Four Mile where we'd camp a bunch of times over the over the years, you'd see the old miner or the old rancher uh, and people that that had gone nature see this a lot too. You know, you'll see like these really old rusted cans and they're really heavy duty cans and stuff like that and actually that's actually considered historical trash and they don't they don't want people to pick that up they want them to leave it in place which i think is interesting it's fascinating yeah Yeah. it's it's really um insightful i had never had that kind of thought before me neither you know even so you have uh areas out here that have been around for thousands of years Mm -hmm. but that thought process that's in the blm and other public land advocates that you know any other pioneers that came out here even in the last one to two hundred years whatever they might have left that's also historic and something that should be uh, preserved, yeah. Brian's getting a nice waft of cedar uh, smoke in his yeah. face, or blackwood, or <laughs> that got me something. good. That was good. That was pretty awesome. I, I, I held off the cough, though. You know, so yeah, I'm good. That was good. But no, yeah, it's it's cool to get to know the BLM terminology and also understanding their their mindset. Their mindset is not to promote the monument. Their mindset is to educate people who visit the monument. So, mm-hmm. so they're not out there spending their resources saying, "Hey, come visit, come visit." They're 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 out there spending resources saying, "If you visit." 
you got to come see us first because we need to show you how to operate back here. Yeah. Because, you know, the ecosystem is so fragile. I, I didn't know that the soil, there's some areas of the soil that are 70% living organisms out here in the desert yeah. that, that bind everything together, these cellular organisms that are considered some of the oldest organisms on the planet. And, you know, when you, when you learn about all the different components out here, and I think people have a misconception of the desert. You drive by it and it looks sterile. It looks like a sterile environment. You think there's not much out there. Sterile and static, like yeah, it doesn't change. Yeah, like there's nothing going on. Or right. And that could not be further from the truth. I mean, this this environment out here is so dynamic, and I have gone through crazy weather with rain, with snow, with with really hot temperatures, all, and almost all within the same week. And then the, the, the desert landscape changes when it rains a lot because the washes will move the sands around. Mm. And then some roads become impassable. Other ones you can't, you know, you can drive on still. And it's just, it's a really uh, cool environment that, that you have to be engaged with all the time because it changes so rapidly. And there's stuff out here, too, that can hurt you. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, like we, we walk 20 feet that way, we'd be dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, podcast <laughs> over. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Last no, episode. No doubt about so, that. But it's it's, it's interesting. Um, they, they did say that the visitation is up double of what it was two years ago. So the, the, the visitation's come up, but as you and I both know from driving around... There's still not a lot of people out here compared to other areas that we've been to, like in Colorado, where it's just overrun. Right. And I think that that's one that's one thing that's really nice about this area is it's hard to get to. You have to really plan to come here. And then when you come here, there's not a lot of there's not like anything indoors to do. Everything's outside. Right. So that caters to only a certain type of crowd. So I think that those factors are going to help to keep it somewhat more quaint over here and not be just like floodgates are open. There's five million people in the monument today. You know right. I mean? So there's, there's some factors, uh, just geographically speaking, um, that I think are really going to help out long term. And, and I, th- I really feel the Friends of Cedar Mesa, the group that I've been working with, with the ambassador program here, they are, they are very well organized. Are they? Extremely well organized. Yeah, I'm very impressed with working with them and what they've been able to accomplish in the amount of time that they've really been going. And I mean, I their their whole thing is that education is the key out here, and they truly believe that. And I think that they're right. And I've learned a lot from them. I thought I, you know, me me thinking that I know everything on the planet, being Mr. Hotshot that sure, I of think I am sometimes. Uh, I thought that I knew everything there was to do about like you know trail work and land stewardship and all that stuff. And I've learned stuff from them since I've been here about how to keep things even on a more more of a lower profile. Right. Because out here it's like you you tag something online, the masses are going to come. Right. You know. And so one of their th- one of their principles they have these different principles they like to teach with the visit with respect program. But one of them is like. The GPS reveals too much. You know, don't don't tag things, don't put waypoints or anything like that. Let people find it. That's like part of the adventure. Yeah, which I agree with out here, especially because if you tell if you give everybody just like okay, you know, here's step by step instructions, they just come through and do them all, get their pictures and leave. And right. And it's like when you have to find it yourself, I feel like that's a, you've, there's a little bit more of like, hey, I did it. Right. Yeah. And, and plus two, it's fun. I think it's a good time. Yeah, and, it, and it, it's it, it forces one to engage the local community, mm-hmm. and you have like the the local community effectively act like gatekeepers, right? So right. if you have an out of towner come in and be like, "Oh yeah, I'm looking for to find shit," then the local crew gets to be like. Well, are you cool or not? You know, in their own way. And if they don't, if they, you know, think you're a jackass, they're not going to tell you where cool shit is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I like that, and I, um, yeah, I, I, I really, really do like that. Yeah, um, I've been and, impressed. And, and, and another thing that's really, really great too is I didn't realize how skewed the local 
local politics were here. Because see, San Juan County has a lot of say when it comes to the monument. I don't know exactly how much. This wind is going to be gnarly. Yeah. Look, it's got some, got some Grand Canyon winds blowing through right now. Yeah, we do. the waveforms as they go I'm, I'm seeing that yeah that's nice um, so anyway it looks like the looks like the wind is, has passed there but uh, what I was saying was is that the, the local politics were skewed in a, it, that, that skewed in a direction that were not in favor of the five tribes that came together to protect bears ears and, and make that national don, uh, designation uh, national monument designation and see those five tribes they don't necessarily get along and so, um, for them to for for them to have the 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 monument rescinded the way it is is just a slap in their face because they really they really put away buried. Sorry, it's got a bunch of ash. Yeah, oh, it's, it's uh, they, they they really buried some hatchets to to come together, you know. And so the nice thing is, is with the realignment now, the way that the districts are. The tribes have the, have the local power now, and they have the representation which they need because the native people down here are the majority. Yeah, and then San Juan County, and so they now have the representation, the proper representation, and they are saying not only do we want the original boundaries restored for the national monument, we want an additional twenty percent. So they want the initial, they want the the original boundaries. Plus, if you look at the map, there's there's a main portion that's the center portion, which is where we're at right now, mm-hmm. and then there's another portion which is off to the left. And there's a canyon and some areas in between that that were not included with the original designation. Well, that's where they want to do a bunch of drilling for oil and natural gas and uranium. Mm. And so the and the the five tribes are saying, no, we want that in the designation now. So they're pushing to get wow. that done. So that's what that's what the lawsuit is currently um, going after. That's 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 great. And and you know my experience up in Standing Rock um, that that taught me the um, the regular conflict that is between the various tribes and uh-huh. what have you and so when you say that these five tribes have come together to unite on uh, protecting this area and putting aside their differences that says a lot to me because mm-hmm. I, I again we experienced the same thing up at Standing Rock where it was just it was a historic event the fact that all these tribes are coming together with the single purpose of trying to stop that pipeline. Yeah. Much like it sounds like the um, the tribes are coming together here to, yeah. to, to, to maintain and expand the monument. Yeah, it was cool. I was in the Bears Ears Education Center one afternoon when one of the members from that tribe, who I don't know what his standing in the tribe was, but it was obviously it was very important. He was an important figure. And he came in and was like almost in tears that, that they got the districts figured out and re- realigned to where they would be fully represented. So it was cool to see that. And if you go into the Bears' Education Center to the left, there's a rep- there's a recreation of pottery of how they did it in the old in the olden days. And he was the one that made that. So yeah. he started making the old school. So it was cool to see him come in and be so moved by it because these places are like this is part of their culture and their heritage and, and lots of it part of religion and things like that and it's like imagine if somebody did that to us and just ripped that out of us and said no you can't have that and it's like why or not it's that's sacred right and it's it's important to preserve that for those for those folks i i thought it was interesting the um you know everybody had a sympathetic response to 
Notre Dame uh-huh. catching on fire. Um, and I, I'm, I'm kind of torn. Some, some people have been raising the concern about Native American lands and um, lands like this that have archaeological significance that... So why, why is it that people react so strongly in support of something like Notre Dame that, that burns and, and everybody supports that, but we, our culture doesn't have the same reaction when areas like this are, um, are damaged, hurt, what have you. And, and I, I mean, I don't have an answer. Um, and part of me, I was annoyed to see some of those posts. Like, like can't you just let the support and sympathy go for that, you know, nice structure? Like, why do you have to, yeah. why, why, do you, why do you have to leverage that into your cause? Because, like, that happens a lot in so many different areas. But at the same time, it did, it did kind of lead me to think, like, yeah, why, why is it that? Yeah. Um, that is an interesting thing to ponder. Yeah. And it's, because that, that, that's, I, I follow a lot of Native American communities online, mm-hmm. and that was a dominating theme, was like, yeah, Notre Dame is, is burning, and that's, that's a horrible thing, but, you know, Bears Ears is going to go under, too. Like, why, right. you know, yeah. why can't, why can't people pay attention to that? You know, maybe that's part of the human arrogance. It's like, we created Notre Dame, but we didn't create right. this. Yeah. So, like, we feel like we have more ownership to Notre right. Dame. It's like, that's ours, whereas this is kind of like everybody's, so no one really puts a puts a thumb on it you know but but it's weird how the government's still like it's our land you know governments around the world are like that and right borders everywhere and all that stuff and yeah that's an interesting thing to ponder that's this one is gonna correct this do you want to pause it yeah. see, see what the uh let me we're back it was, wind, back. It was windy as hell last night we had to cut out yeah, man. That, that, was, that one was intense. Yeah, uh, and it only got more intense from from the point when we stopped. So yeah, I was sitting in my truck. And my truck was rocking back and forth. I'm sure it was, <laughs> but not in a good way. You know what I'm, I'm saying? Sure it was. <laughs> so anyway, so we're gonna pick back up here. Uh, we're actually doing the podcast on the back of my tailgate right now, which is very true to our cu- tr- truck camping roots and our nomad. Um, endeavors. So, anyway, we were talking about last night. We were talking about the Bears Ears National Monument, and I was getting into the local politics, which is which is really interesting. I didn't realize how much the local politics had come into play for the monument, and also uh, a lot of people that supported the reduction of the monument, or just no monument at all. You know, there's a big group of like of people like that out here, especially up in Blanding, that don't care for the monument at all. They think that this is their place. No one else should be telling them what to do with the land. They can do whatever they want with their cattle and all that stuff. And um, it's really interesting to see a group of people so close to the monument that much opposed to it. I, it's not. Um, it's actually not that surprising to me. I guess I've 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 read about the history enough of the history of Utah mm-hmm. and how. Um, the the settlers, some of the earlier settlers, came out here, and there there is just in general. I actually just read another book. So w- one book was under the banner of heaven, which gave me a lot of the history of the original setter, settlers, and um, they they were as far as white people and Western civilization. It was the Mormon community that came out here, mm-hmm. and they they have a very strong. 
um, not, I'm not sure anti-government is the way to say it, but they have a very strong independent, they want to live their lives the way that they want to live their lives under their own authority. Kind of like a libertarian kind of? I think think you could probably align it with the libertarian, and and that's you know, they, they, they certainly they lean right because they want to govern themselves I see. as a community. Yeah. Um, but the other book that I just finished, I think it's called A Pilgrim's Progress or A Pilgrim's Way. And it was a, a story about a, um, a kind of a messed up family that went up to Alaska and started living on um, Wrangell National Park up there. Mm. And part of it was about the messed up lives of that family. And, and that's not what I'm getting into. But the there was active discussion about the implementation of uh, Jimmy Carter's um, Alaska Conservations Act in 1980s. So you had a lot of these frontiers pioneers out there uh-huh. that they wanted to live their lives the way that, that the way that they lived. They wanted to live their lives, and then you have the National Park Service coming in. And telling these very independent people how to, you know, they need to file permits for these things oh, now. Yeah. And so what I guess what I'm saying is that I'm I'm able to see both sides where you have history of people that are used to they, they come out here to areas like this to live their lives the way that they want to. Mm-hmm. And then after the fact, you have the national government coming in and say, okay, now you need to do things our way. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess there's a little bit of empathy on my side for those that are used to doing things their way. And then you have the national government coming in after the fact yeah. and saying, no, that said, I, I still support the idea of conserving these areas. Yeah. And so when you talk to me about Blanding and, and other areas around here, and it's not being a, like a, you know, in my mind, it just makes sense to take care of these areas. Mm-hmm. But obviously what you're experiencing out here is it's not that cut and dry. And you, you yeah. definitely have significant portions of the local population that want to have things just the the, the federal government stay out like, yeah like by yeah. definition yeah and I, I think that's where Utah really holds true to their or, or holds dear to their uh, state rights uh-huh. because of that mindset yeah. because Utah is very much state-minded you know that hey we can do it we can we can do it. and there, there's something to be said for those people that are the self-starters like that that say hey I can go out there I don't need the help from anybody I'm self-sufficient I can do I'm I'm I can work the land I can do what I need to do to get by and I have a bad respect for that sure I have absolutely. respect for those people that can do it whether they're Mormons or the or like the frontier crowd that came through Kansas back in the day you know those people experienced a tremendous amount of hardship right to to get to where they're at and then to have that taken or rolled back or um, maybe that's not the right word maybe governed when it wasn't ever governed before right. to have someone come in and tell them what to do when they've been there for a long time that's got to be a hard pill to swallow but, but I agree with you though the, the conservationist area the, the scope of human history that's on record here like, like it's interesting I was reading some of the the uh, information I have in my visit with respect ambassador manual last mm-hmm. night and I was just going through because I like to read it I've read it a couple times now and one thing I finally caught was just a little note on on one of the um, 
segments when it's talking about the Clovis site that dates back to 12,000 BC. Uh-huh. That's that's on Lyme Ridge, just just close to here. They said uh, we found records that go back at least 14,000 years. If it, they think there's more out here, they just haven't found it yet. Right. Because the, the one of the drawbacks. Of course, and we know this just from being intimately involved with public lands, is that funding just isn't there. Right. You know, and for the national monument, even with the designation, that was my that was my gripe when it came about. I'm like, they're gonna they're gonna put it in the monument, but they're not gonna put the funding, yeah. and they're gonna set up the people here to fail. That that's what that's what my mind said. That's why I was against initially. I'm like, get your budget straight first, and then put lands into protection so we can manage it properly. Because if because if you go in there and you're already set up to fail out of the get go, you're gonna fail. Like it's not gonna work. Um, so what I what I was that's why I was against an issue. I'm like, let's get the budget where it should be for the national park system. I mean, hell, they got a twelve billion dollar backlog of repairs, right? For the national park system, and then we're adding more to an already strained system. But then that's where people like the you know, groups like the Friends of Cedar Mesa, you know, for their education center, they've already raised five hundred fifty thousand dollars of the eight hundred thousand they need for the for the expansion they're going to do uh, for that for that center. And it's just uh, you know, it's amazing to see people that just grassroots effort step up and say, hey, I'll help, you know, yeah. you, oh, you've got a, a deficiency in funding, I'll help with that, you know, and it, that goes to show how this area can speak to people on a level that other areas, other areas don't. So do you think, do you think that that effort and that's, you know, quote unquote success story, if you want to call it a success story that they don't, the friends of Cedar Mesa are like, hey, like you guys don't have what it takes to, to, to manage the lands, we'll, we'll help out. Is Do you think that that's a unique story to this area, or do you think that that's happening elsewhere in the country where the federal funding might be lacking? Yeah, I think it's I think it's happening across the country. I've, I've noticed different groups in different areas that I'll go to. There's all these friends of, like, you know, friends of Cedar Mesa, friends, right. of, friends of Four Mile, um, uh, f- friends, friends of the Black Canyon. You know, there's all these different friends groups that help out different areas. And some of the areas aren't even in a national park system. They just might just be a cool area that people like to enjoy. It doesn't right. have to be a monument or something like that. But I've noticed those groups popping up, and then they do a lot of stuff to, to fundraise for themselves. And, like, like for example, on my effort, just in a micro scale, you know, I'll, I'll do different things to fundraise to help offset my expenses so I'm not just paying everything out of pocket right. to do this conservation stuff. And then it gets people uh, – it, it allows people an opportunity to get involved, too. If they, if they can't physically get out there, then they can say, hey, I'll give Brian 20 bucks, and I know it's going to a good cause and you know so on and so forth so i think that people are realizing that it takes more of a grassroots effort to in conjunction with the national effort to really right. make it a go you can't just have one or the other um, i think if i were to pick one or the other if i had my way i would pick the friends groups over the government mm. they seem to be more organized and more pointed in their mission and there's not so much bureaucratic red tape that they have to go through to get things done yeah and um you know, the, the thing is, is like, I mean, I think the federal government has really good systems in place. I just don't think the funding is there. And I, yeah. I know the funding's not there. It's, it's obvious. It's been, it's been recorded. It's not there. Yeah. So. Well, and I, I mean, it's, it's a common story. I think that you, um, so let me, let me, what, what just came to my mind was, so I, I did that research and I was studying and doing analyzing on using carbon markets to manage the greenhouse gas problem. Uh-huh. And so, you know, my mindset at the time that I was getting into it, and this is back in like 2005, 2006, my mindset was, the, the theory was that 
markets can solve environmental problems. Mm. And one of the interesting realizations that, that came up was that the, the corporations, the, um, the emitters, they, they were open to playing a part in, in that, like participating in the environmental markets, but they, they did need regulations. They needed the government to come in with rules. Mm. And their mindset was, so we don't want to get into it now because there's too much uncertainty. We don't want to play by private rules because there's too much uncertainty. We don't know what the government's going to do. Mm-hmm. What we'd actually prefer is for the government to come in and set the standards, set the rules, and then then we have certainty. Mm-hmm. And we can use our market-based methods to adapt and do whatever it takes to meet those rules. Mm-hmm. But without that certainty, we don't want to play. And so I, I compare that to this situation where maybe, maybe an approach is to have the government come in and like let's let's just use the Bears Ears National Monument as an example. Mm-hmm. So they come in, they define what the national monument is, and then have a I don't want to say a looser set of regulations, but like a less guidelines. cumbersome, yeah. less cumbersome set of regulations. And then groups like Friends of Cedar Mesa and other groups can come in and fill in the details mm-hmm. of how to do that, how to meet the standards. Yeah, and um, then fundraise accordingly. Right, yeah. and rather than have... Or maybe apply for grants or something. Or, you know, whatever cause, it cause, is, but then, like, not, have, not, have, not have the government come in with a ridiculous set of rules yeah. and details and, and whatnot that, you know, every little group will lobby the national government to do X, Y, and Z. Right and have those rules apply to this small little area, yep. which don't make sense. So so I am in favor of the federal government coming in and saying, yes, this area is protected, and these are the general guidelines, mm-hmm. and then allow the local groups to figure out ways to meet those guidelines as opposed to coming in with this like you know list of 1500 regulations that now apply uh, because it's a national monument well you know and and one thing that i've found with the forest service and the blm and and i'm not knocking them at all because they're doing the absolute best that they can with the with the limited amount of resources that's been allocated for them right because they're they're severely under budgeted and a lot of times i've known rangers that pay for stuff out of their own pocket yeah you know they'll say hey we need to get this done i'll just pay for it and that's that's so admirable for those individuals to like you know say i'm going to reach into my own resources because my employer the federal government isn't stepping up to the plate and i'll do it which is amazing but uh you know the the federal government is has been mandated both blm and forest service when you were talking about the different user groups to say i want this and i want that they've been mandated that this land is all user groups like there's not there's not there's nobody's excluded Mm -hmm. is basically is what it's saying so that, I think that's what takes them. That's what that's what bogs down the process is trying to hear every single user group's wish list, and then trying to adhere to everyone's without stepping on each other's toes. Right. And, you know, and I think that's where a lot of the user group conflict comes into play. And I had suggested to the friends of Cedar Mesa yesterday, 
I was in there working on the Instagram story for BioLite, or the, or the day before last. And there was a gal in there who's, who's new. And I, f- I forgot her name. I just met her, but she's a super nice gal from Flagstaff. And she's in charge of, like, um, community outreach, uh-huh. you know? And she was like, man, I can't get these people to... I'm trying to think of different ways to get these people involved, but it's just hard to do. I was like, I was like, plan crossover events. Take a four by four person and pair them up with a, a with an avid hiker and ha- say, hey, we're going to go run a trail, like a motorized trail within the national national monument that leads to an awesome hiking trail that's hard to get to. Mm. So have those two people pair up for the day and go out there and spend the spend the day, or maybe four people or six people, however many there are, but have it be like half and half for the user groups and get them to spend a day together in the backcountry of an area they both love. And you'll see that those people can connect. Right. Because they'll say, hey, we both love this area. We might like to do different things, but we both have such a passion for this area. We're not going to do anything to screw it up. I might drive a truck. You might ride a mountain bike or walk, but we both love the same areas. Let's join forces to, to, to do good because there's strength in numbers. And so they're going to start implementing that down here. And I think that that would be really successful to get people at least talking. Because I think as soon as you start talking to somebody, the barriers come down. You don't think to look at that other person as like, the individual or the user group that's trying to snuff out what you like to do on the land. So, you know, I, I, I just think that being able or, or having the mandate to, to dictate that all, all land is all user groups is, that's, that's a lot. That's a, it's, I mean, that's, that's an impossible task. I mean, you, really and you um, yeah, it's just an impossible task and, and it'll be interesting to see, I guess this, this will be interesting to see what happens. So you have, you know the the current administration has rescinded a huge portion yeah. of the national monument, eighty five percent. And you have the um, Native Americans have now taken this effort and, and other groups to court yep. to um, block that. But then also, like you were talking last night, to expand it, yeah, um, to include that. So it's going to be interesting to see how how this plays out. And I, I really think that it's. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of like these case studies and models and yeah. whatnot. So how do you how do you do these things right, and can you transplant the way of doing them right to other areas? Absolutely. Um, I think that they've done a really good job of developing their Visit with Respect program. So mm-hmm. if you go to visitwithrespect.org, you can see what it's about. And they're like, hey, we just developed this because we think it's a great way to help manage the land and work with the federal agencies that are tasked with managing the areas that you're in. Anybody can use it. So they, mm-hmm. they push it out. They're like, if any other friends groups wants to use it, feel free. Mm-hmm. And they, they developed this whole thing. It is spectacular. It's one of the best programs I've seen. So I think that, you know, going back to what I said, if I'd rather have the friends group or the government manage it, obviously I'd rather have the government management if they were fully funded. Yeah. But, and but they were it, efficient. And, yeah. yeah. But when you have like, like for example, when I was in San, Ale- San Isabel National Forest doing those trails for the last three years, um, they've got one law enforcement officer for 1.6 million acres. Yeah. I mean, come on, that person can't get to everything. That, and, and then, you, and then, then, then you see the shenanigans back there, and it like the experience starts to, de- to degrade as someone going onto public lands because you see people living back there in the same spot for three months at a time. There's trash everywhere. Nothing's being done about it because they're understaffed. Yeah. You know. But then again, if you have the citizens group out there, what are they going to do? They don't have any power to, to police. So there's a, there's there's lots of conundrums and catch twenty twos that. That are that are out here, but I, back to the monument stuff though. It's just interesting. I I think I cut off the audio from the from the wind last night before I before I got into explaining the local politics. But, uh-huh. but I wanted to touch on that real quick. I didn't realize that the local politics out here had such a huge uh, factor into the monument, like San Juan County and the politics that are here in San Juan County and uh-huh. Southeast Utah. Uh, they have a tremendous amount of say with what goes on with the national monument, and I don't I don't know the political the actual wordage of how that's 
how that puts together, but for whatever reason, they can influence it tremendously as how, how it goes forward. Okay. So um, in the past, unfortunately, there was some discrimination going on in the county here, and it's been going on for quite some time, that the uh, minorities were the majority in Mm-hmm. The government, the local government, basically the white people were, were the minorities here in San Juan County, but they were the majority represented in the government, and they were voting things according to what they wanted, not what the tribes wanted. Okay. Well, now that the tribes have been, uh, within like, I think it was two or three weeks ago, they redistrict the area and got it to where uh, when the next elections came up, the native people are now properly represented as the majority in the local government. Interesting. And so the five tribes, which they don't and get this is, And this is on the county level? This is on the county level. Okay. And the five tribes tribes, which they don't get along, they came together to preserve this area and put their differences aside, their differences from centuries that they've had with each other, put them all aside to say, hey, let's get this area protected. And so now that they are back in the majority control, that's where they came back and said, okay, Trump, if you want to take it and reduce it 85%, we want it back to the, not only the original boundary, but the 20% more. Because there's that sliver for those people that, are, if you look at a map of Bears Ears, you'll see a main portion over to the right-hand side that has like Butler Wash and Cedar State Park and all these different great areas and Cedar Mesa. And then you know, there's another portion that's that's kind of like like how Hawaii looks on a map, you know, how it's like, <laughs> there's like, and Hawaii's over here, and here's the United States. There's another portion like that, and there's a there's a section in between that, that, would, that would bridge the gap to those two and connect them. And that's the section where they want to do all the oil and gas extraction. And interestingly enough, um, Obama took the original state gathering because the state was going to make this a state park. Mm-hmm. And so the state did all this, all this, you know, research into the area and figured, okay, well, that area there is for gas and, and oil exploration. So we'll leave that open. So Obama took the original boundaries that the state had designated Okay, and said, okay, this is what it would be. And then the tribes are taking it a step further and saying, no, 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 let's just, let's protect all of it. Because once oil and gas starts in one area, it just spreads. Right. You and know? you can have contamination. Yep. Um, and you don't, and, and, and on top of it too, the amount of trucks that come in and out of the right. area. Yeah. I mean, it, if, if anybody's ever been close to like a fracking area, yep. it's just disgusting. It's nonstop. 20, yeah. 24 hours a day. Trucks. Yeah. No, it's really, really bad. I yeah. mean, not only, not only the impact on the road, but you, unfortunately, you just have trash being left uh-huh. on those routes all all along the way, yeah. and, and there's there's just not a focus on keeping the area clean and tidy and, and what have you. Yeah, so it's it, it'll be interesting to see what plays out. But they're they're making an aggressive push. I was in the Bears Ears Education Center this uh, when that gentleman came in that was so ecstatic about them winning and said, "We're making a huge push. We're going to get it back." So. Yeah, they must have read the art of the deal. By, yeah. by, by Trump, I know. You know? Huh? Oh, <laughs> He's you guys, hardballs you, and, they, and they throw it right back at him. I know. You guys want to take away 85, 85%? Actually, what I want to do is get back that original and plus 20%. <laughs> exactly. So let's, let's doing talk. They're a good job, man. I know. I'd love to be in those discussions I, and see, see well, what the bargaining is. <laughs> I, you know, it, it'd be, you know, who knows who's listening to these these podcasts, but I, I think it'd be a fascinating discussion to have someone from the oil industry uh-huh. and then someone from the Native American community and like you and I having a discussion with them uh-huh. as to you know what what's going on not that we're like deal makers or like you know peacemakers or what have you but, but just get the perspective yeah yeah and just to have like a a, conver- a, a level-headed conversation without the bureaucrats mm-hmm. you know in between and to see just like you laid out that idea of which i think is a phenomenal idea of a four-wheel driver 
dude and uh, a hiker chick, you know, to work together and 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 access a certain area and mm-hmm. and allow them to find that common ground. Um, you know, could that model of discussion and working together could that work? You know, if we had an oil because I I'm I'm pretty familiar with the oil, um, the uh, oil industry and and their needs and and the positive things that they do. I mean, like we were talking about last night. You know, the fact that we've got these vehicles and we yep. were consumers of. Uh, petroleum products on mm-hmm. so many different levels. Um, so it, it, to vilify them yeah. is not useful, nor it's, it's hypocritical. Yeah. But that said, you know, like I, you can't vilify and disregard the concerns and interests of the Native American community because the reason why we're out here right now and exploring this area and and just amazed by everything that we see is because of the history and um, impact of the Native American community. Yeah, yeah. So it's... Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, you're right about the oil industry. They're not all, you know, these ruthless, you know, people that are just wanting to destroy the earth and all that stuff. I, 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 I you know... You, but like, like we were saying last night, like we drove our cars to get here. Everybody drives a car around, you know? Yeah. So we can't be... We can't demonize that industry while using it. I, I, at least I can't. Yeah. I, feel like, I feel like a walking contradiction, you know? And I don't know if I ever told you this, but my, my grandfather was an oil guy. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And uh, he wrote the government all the time when fracking started out saying, this is wrong, you're going to screw up the environment. Um, it's not, doesn't make sense, you know? And, and he, he, he would send these letters, and he'd send them every week to the president. And this is back, gosh, when I was, like, in college. It's like 20 years ago. Mm. So was it... Is either Clinton or the first Bush was in office? Then I can't remember. It was probably it's probably Clinton because you're you're a year younger than I am. Yeah. And, and Clinton came in in '92. Okay, yeah. So it was, yeah. It was in Clinton when Clinton yeah. was in office, and fracking had gotten approved. My grandfather was like, "This is going to be the death of the industry." And if you look at it and what fracking has done now, I I I would say he was spot on with that. Mm. Yeah, but he said too. He goes he goes, you know, oil's being depleted. He said when I started, you could you could drill down a thousand feet, you hit a well. He goes now you have to drill down a mile. Right. He goes it's being depleted. Yeah. Like you, it's it's not an infinite resource. Right. And that's where I feel like we really got to get on the ball with these renewable energies. And our technology is re- is advancing enough. I mean, look at the little gizmos we have now out here at camping and the solar power that we have that can power some stuff that we have you, you can get a big enough system right to do whatever you need and then the secondary battery systems and stuff like that that can charge while you're driving there's ways to like really reduce impacts i think there is and i and, and, and i mean you know now we're getting really getting into my area so i <laughs> there's you, you cannot argue the fact that oil and gas operations they know how to do things at scales oh, we cannot even fathom yeah so when you think about the the effort and engineering ingenuity that's required to shift the economy from oh, an oil-based one to renewables you you actually want those smart people that know how to do projects at scales that they do projects at. Uh-huh. You want them involved in the process, mm-hmm. and that's why you know when when a company like like Shell or BP or Exxon Mobil starts to get into renewables, like those are people to pay attention to as far as like how are they doing those projects because they know how to do partnerships. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but they also know how to do energy um, engineering at scale. Um, and you know, with like, it is important to put aside some of the higher level decisions that were made back in the 70s and 80s where executives of those companies and shareholders of those companies, they knew the impact that they were having on climate change and what have you. And they, you know, they, they just barreled ahead. They barreled ahead and they disseminated contradictory information out there, just like the cigarette companies. Oh, yeah. So I see. I, my point is, is that, okay, yeah, what, what they did at the executive level to not address the problem, that is wrong. But you can't, you, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater by also excluding their phenomenal engineering ingenuity and capacity in addressing the current problem. So, you know, you just can't, it's not helpful to demonize them. Yeah, totally. I I, I would agree with that. And, um, I'd had, I had it when my grandfather passed away. Uh, it was really emotional time for me because he was a huge, huge figure in my life. Like we, Mm. we were really good friends. Like I would come home from college and one of the first things I'd do after I'd after I'd hang out with my with my parents, was go over and see my grandpa because we just talk about stuff, you know. And yeah. He was a, he was a cool guy. I remember when AOL came out, America Online, and he sent me his first email, and then I and then I saw that he was online, so I sent him an instant message, and he was like, I can't believe they're not charging his postage for this. Like he you know, he was uh, such a big deal for him, you know. I thought yeah. that was a, such a cool perspective. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, but yeah, I um, getting back to the monument though, it's just you know, like you said, it's such a special area out here, and I, I really feel that. It'll get worked out. I think that the BLM here is really well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. They're very organized, a lot more so than what I've seen in other areas. But, of course, too, they're not dealing with near the crowds that yeah. other areas I've had. Because, you know, I've operated in Colorado. And it's just crazy. Right. It's just too many people. And, it, yeah. the, you know, the ground out there is littered with trash constantly. It's just it's sad to see because it's being loved to death. And I don't see Colorado as a state doing anything to—, to with those tourism dollars to promote to promote education, and it's frustrating. Yeah, because I've hit the I've hit the Colorado uh, State uh, uh, Recreation, the Division of Recreation, with uh, Luis Benitez, who was the director, and now he's gone. He, he went to work for another company. But I messaged him a lot. I'm like, hey, we got to get some of these dollars going towards education because people are just coming out here screwing stuff up, and it just fell on deaf ears. You know, so it's like out here, I feel like they are really on the ball by saying education is the first thing mm. that you should do when you come to the monument, mm-hmm. which I totally agree with. Because, like, for example, the soil, you know, you don't know that, it's, that it could have up to 70% living organisms in the soil that we're looking at right now. And you just don't know that. But if you go walk across it, especially the soil, the soil that's discolored, like that's like black looking, that's where the, the bloom is really coming up for those microorganisms. You step across that, it could take 250 years for one footprint to repair itself. Wow. You know, you just, you don't, you just don't, don't inherently know that knowledge. But if somebody tells you that, you go, whoa, that's special. Right. Like, I'm not going to step on that. Yeah. So I really feel like the education being at the forefront out here is what's going to help um, prepare the people to go in the backcountry to mitigate and reduce any uh, uh, damage that they may unintentionally incur. And then also, too, with like I said, like we were saying yesterday, with the proximity of the area and hard to get to, I think that that lends itself to giving them a little more time to go out and make sure these sites are hardened yeah, and uh, and craft a plan and evolve that plan as things change and visitation changes and increases, you know, have some flexibility with that. And the Friends of Cedar Mesa have said that, like, we're, you know, we're an extension, basically a friendly extension of, 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 of 
private citizens that that uh, you know can work in conjunction with the BLM and help them out. And and so that's what they want to do, you know. Yeah. And that's why they also too they like to fly under the radar. Um, they don't want to promote every, anything and everything they're doing because some of the groups that are against the monument can take that and twist it against them and then try to use it and say, well, this is what's going on or that's what's going on. Take things out of context. You know what it may be. Yeah. So uh, that's politics. where that's where I've learned so much being out here. I mean, I've deleted how many of my Instagram posts since I've been here because I realized I'm like, I don't want to give out this information, even though I didn't give out any information. It was a photo associated with the site that wasn't published. And I'm like, okay, I don't even want to put that out there. Mm. You know, so I went through and deleted all that stuff and changed everything on on my end because I don't want to contribute to that. Yeah. So. No, it's, that's that, that, that is important. So it's, it's Earth Day today, yep. right? I mean, it's what is the, the, it's the 22nd. Yeah. Um, and you've got you've got something going on at the Bears Ears Education Center, yeah. With uh, with Earth Day, What's yeah, yeah. So I approached BioLite before I came out here and uh, asked them if they'd be interested in doing something on Earth Day yeah. about the monument in coordination with. Uh, since I'm a BioLite ambassador and beta tester for them, uh, I thought it'd be cool if they told the story of a person who was out here actually volunteering on Earth Day and, and, and part of them and stuff like that. So it's cool. We I went around the monument and I, I, I kind of wove in a lot of educational stuff into the videos that I was doing for their Instagram story. Okay. And so got an Instagram story that starts out here and I'm actually out at that point talking like, hey, I'm Brian. Nice. You know, I'm here at Bears Ears. Let's go out. I'm going to head the and monument. Just, just to refresh to the crowd, we're, we're on the edge of the start of the Grand Canyon. So the yeah. vistas that we've got got national monument where what are those what are those um that, that's, features that's monument valley over monument there monument valley is right across the way from uh-huh. uh the grand canyon and and so anyway i just wanted to to, to we're not in a cubicle right no. now to, yeah. talking about this stuff <laughs> we're right on the edge so. yeah well, anyway yeah keep keep on telling me about those videos and what have you yeah we're, we're breathing it right now so um but I, you know, actually, I forgot what I was talking about. You, so we're Bears Ears. Oh, yeah. Oh. In the videos there. <laughs> so, so, so. You're too like, caught up in the I was looking at the, the National, yeah. Bob, National Monument over there. I was yeah. like, well, Monument Valley. I was like, wow. Yeah, so the Instagram story, it just it just inter, inter, uh, wove in some, some educational stuff. Like, for example, in Valley of the Gods, you can't have fires, but you can use the BioLite fire pit. Okay. You know, like the camp stove that they have. And so what I put out there, I was like, hey, just remember, you know, I was going through, like, killer views. Remember, no no fires in, in uh, uh Valley of the Gods, but you can have your BioLite stove, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And and just uh, kind of, and then I showed I showed one of the interior alcove of Moon House where we were at yesterday. Yeah. You know, because I can show that because that's a public site. So uh-huh. uh, that, and then and then some shots of the interior of the education center, which I think is top notch. Definitely check that out if you get a chance before you leave. Okay. Because it's really they did an excellent. And that's job. the one that you pointed. We were we were coming out here and you pointed to. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That, yep. And that's what I thought. Yeah. Yep. That's it. So they can give you all the information of there. And go into real depth of what their vision is and everything. It's really great, and they have a donor wall too, and I've got my name on it, which I'm pretty oh, stoked yeah. about. So, <laughs> so but it's a uh, big deal. Yeah. So our, our goal is to raise money for the education center. Okay. And so that's that's what we're doing. The the link that will be in the BioLite uh, Instagram page. Okay. Uh, that link there, and then also on their Facebook, will take people directly to the Bears Education Center page where they can donate. And it's a tax deductible write off and all that stuff. Nice. Very very nice. So we'll include that in the notes of the podcast. And if anybody feels inclined to go check that out, it's a really, really good endeavor. And I, I if I was if I was going to put my money behind anything here, I put my money behind that. Okay. Yeah. Well, that that and that should definitely imprint upon people. That's 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 real deal on the ground <laughs> intel right there. Yeah. And uh, I can I can definitely I've seen Brian in action. 
Um, we've we've gone to a couple sites and I've seen him actually engage. He stops talking to me and he's talking to other people, <laughs> like filling him in on all the goods and whatnot. So he's doing his good ambassador volunteering action here. Yeah, um, and so. it's and it's so great to meet everybody out here. I've met people from all the way from New Hampshire and Alaska. Yeah. Uh, I met somebody from Europe. They told me the country and it was a really thick accent. I couldn't quite pick up on it. And I was just like, <laughs> oh well, welcome. So yeah. I, I couldn't quite get where welcome, they were going. Welcome from Uzbekistan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So. But it's it's been great out here, and I, and I I would love to come back next year and do this at the same. Wow, time. I mean I'm I'm you know I get a few more days in this area. I'm I'm psyched to to check it out, and um, I you know it's. I, I want to tell everybody, like, you got to come and check out this area, but I also want to say, no, you don't want to come out and check out this area. There's nothing to see. Yeah, you probably, uh, probably should just stay where you're at. I know, yeah, there's really, there's really nothing to see out here. You don't want to, yeah. it's, it's, go, go to, go to the front range of Colorado. Yeah. Hang out there. Yeah, That's, go see some movies. Yeah. Downtown Denver's nice. Yeah, go, go do some mall cruising. It's, <laughs> pimp out your vehicle yeah. and just go cruise malls. Don't, don't come out to the backcountry. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Definitely. All right. Well, I got to get running. I got to be in town in 30 minutes, and it's going to take it's going to take 45. So. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we got a, l- a little bit of uh, podcast action, and we'll we'll try to get some more this week as I'm in the area. Dude, and... I I definitely want to do an entire episode on your winter experience. I, I want to dive deep into that because I got some really good questions for yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, and I I mean, it was. Uh, absolutely transformative experience on so many different levels so i i'm looking forward to processing it processing it myself cool well let's get that on i'm like, like i said i gotta go get my tires and get that stuff done but when i come back let's let's get that up right on all right guys thanks for tuning in uh we're gonna head out and log off now and like i said uh sorry for the lapse there with the connectivity that i've had out here in bears ears but now that craig's out here we're gonna bang out a bunch of new episodes for you so stay tuned we got more coming right on keep on trucking all right happy birthday everybody yeah